The following message was recorded Wednesday, January 24, 2024. Pastor Rick covers Ezekiel 38 and the Gog-Magog War. Who's involved and what happens after this war? He also expounds on current events and how all the players are in their places ready to fulfill Ezekiel 38. And now, here's Pastor Rick. So we're back in our study in Ezekiel, and we're going to be in chapter 38 tonight. We've already covered chapter 36 and 37, which involve... Yeah, the restoration of the land, and then the restoration of the people to the land. He said that he would open up their graves in chapter 36. Uh, chapter 37, go to verse 12. Therefore prophesy and say to, the, to them, thus says the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open up your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves. Wow. When did that happen? Hmm? When did they no, when did he open them up from the graves? 1945. What happened in 1945? The liberation of all those concentration camps. They were walking dead people, weren't they? That's what so many of the news reported at that time. They didn't read the Bible, but they said Israel has, has resurrected from the grave. Look at these people. They're dead men while they're yet walking, right? And so many of them looked like they were dead, didn't they? Yeah, so Israel, God opened up their graves because the intent was a genocide of the Jewish people, wasn't it? Hmm? Amazing, amazing. So that, that prophecy, I think, has been fulfilled. In that, and after World War II, the world, uh, not because they loved the Jews, but because they had a guilty conscience, we gave them a land, didn't we? We gave them their own state. Hmm? And that happened May 14, 1948, a few years later, Right? Uh, but now what we're looking at is the, the conflict that's going to take place because Jew hatred is going to come to a crescendo, to a, a high point, right? Because we see anti-Semitism growing today exponentially, right? And what's the reason for that? Why is that happening? We know the short answer is Satan, Satan is demonic, right? But, but we can see, well, I'm going to rehearse for you some of the things that have taken place that have caused this, this Jew hatred that is so worldwide. But let's look at the text and go through the text first. Chapter 37, because if I start talking about this, we'll never get into the text. <laughs> and as I said to you before, it was in February 2010 that Netanyahu at Auschwitz said that uh, 37 was complete or fulfilled, the Valley of Dry Bones. But we're looking at chapter 38, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and prophesy against him. And say, thus says the Lord God, because I am against you, O Gog, prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. Who is that? Russia. Russia. That's Russia. Uh, <clears throat> I'm sorry? Yeah, 38, 1 and 2. I just, I just read thir chapter 38, 1, 2, and 3. The Megagites, or the ancient Scythians, who are the ancient Russians, okay? And so there's no doubt we can identify exactly who this people group is. Now, uh, the leader of the Megagites is Gog, Gog, whoever Gog is. Now, today it would be Putin. Putin would be the leader. And so what God is saying here is that God is purposing that Gog of the land of Magog will come against Israel in the latter days. Look what it says. Verse 4, and I will turn you around, put hooks in your jaws, and lead you out. With all of your army, horses, horsemen, all splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. And these are the, the army that accompanies him, this great army that comes against Israel. Persia, and Persia is who? Iran, Iran, 1935, Persia was declared to be Iran, but the Iranians still consider themselves to be Persians, Ethiopia or Cush, Libya or Put, and are with them, all of them with shield and helmet. So there's this uh, Muslim federation, right? Now, the Russians aren't Muslims, are they? But there's a significant number of Russians who are Muslim, aren't they? Particularly in those five states that broke away from them. Do you know that uh, if you went to Israel today, half of the Israeli population come from where? Where? 
Half of Israel's population, half of Israel's Jewish population, do you know where they come from? Russia. Russia, Russia, or descendants of Russian Jews who have immigrated into the land of Israel. And for some time, you know, uh, as Israel first became a nation in 1948, the Russians were in agreement with that. They wanted that to take place because they felt that because there were so many Russians who came into the land of Israel, that they would be in agreement and try to align with Mother Russia, right? And so there was a good relationship in the beginning, but boy, that should deteriorate, hasn't it, since then? Hmm? But again, Persia, we see Persia and Iran gathering together. Gomer, who's Gomer? East Germany in the Eastern Bloc and its troops and all the house of Togarma. Who's Targarma? Turkey, Turkey. What's the leader's name in Turkey? Turks, Ergon, right? He is the leader of what in the world? I'm sorry? That's right, that's right. He, you know, most people don't realize it, but the Muslim Brotherhood throughout the world see him as the leader, that he's the leader of the Muslim Brotherhood today. Isn't that amazing? And how do they feel towards Israel and the Jew? Not very fable, right? Now, we know that previously, Israel had a pretty good working relationship with Turkey until of late, right? And Turkey's a member of? Ah, oh, but they want to leave NATO and they want to join? Brex. What's Brex? Yeah, BRICS is that group of nations, that consortium that's coming against the G20, the NATO nations. And really, they want to uh, devalue the power, strength, and influence of the United States throughout the world. You understand that, right? And what they want to do is really uh, begin to do that by changing the way in which certain commodities are purchased. What would that be? Oil. 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 So they're going to change the way oil is purchased. Because historically, uh, since the late 30s, oil had to be bought or sold using dollars, petrodollars, right? And so a lot of nations would have a high reserve of dollars kept so that they could buy their energy needs, supply their energy needs. Well, they want to change that. And if they change that, that's going to be disastrous for us financially, isn't it? Hmm? Yeah. And all the financial indicators uh, appear to be declaring that very soon we're going to have a real problem financially, aren't we? Now, I don't think we're going to see it this year. Why not this year? Election. It's election year. So they're going to keep it propped up in any, any conceivable way that they can. But there's, there's um, several leading economists think that we're going to suffer a, a real serious recession, if not a depression, in 2025. And so you might want to you know, think about that, pray about it, and ask the Lord if he would have you make any changes uh, currently so that you could be prepared for that. But, Nonetheless, I believe that's going to come about because the United States has to be judged for our sins. And the predominant sin that the United States has to be judged for is killing the babies, abortion. No doubt, no doubt. Anyway, so we go back to the text, and it says that uh, Gomer and its troops, the house of Togarma, that's Turkey, from the far north, and all of its troops, many people are with him, with you. With who? With Russia. Russia's leading this, right? Now, never before in the history of man, as you study anthropology, you study civilization, you study empires, never, ever, ever before have the Russians or the Scythians or the Megagites ever been aligned with the Persians and Togarma or Turkey in any kind of a confederation, economically, militarily, in any way, until our present time. Isn't that amazing? And we see there's a strong relationship between those three nations, Russia, Iran and Turkey. Hmm? <clears throat> Amazing. Now, this desert prophet spoke this how long ago? About 2,500 years ago, two and a half millennium. Isn't this amazing? Wow, it's the Lord. Somebody asked me today, how, how do you know that, that what you believe is true? How do you know that the Bible is true and, and the Torah is not true? I mean, the, uh, the Quran is not true or some other religious writing isn't true. How do we know that the Bible is true? Prophecy is the number one way in which God has validated that this is his word, right? We have an extraterrestrial outside of our time-space continuum who's told us the beginning of a, the end of a matter at the very beginning. And I, as a person I was talking to today, I said, for instance, for instance, God mentions Cyrus by name as the one who released the Jews from, from Babylon, what would be you know, Persian at that time, allowed them to go back and rebuild their, their city and the temple. 150 years before he's even born, he's mentioned by name. Isn't that amazing? 
Talk about uh, when Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, predicted on the very day, and, and so many other prophecies. How much of the Bible is prophetic? About 30%, almost a third. 30% of the Bible is prophetic, where God is declaring the end of the matter from the beginning so that you will know he is God. No other religious writing attempts to do that. Right? And if they did, it was all in very general terms, not so specific as the Bible is, right? But the Bible is accurate in so much of what it teaches, right? When Isaiah says that God sits upon the sphere of the earth, all them flat earthers, they laughed. They said, see, the Bible's not right. The, the, the earth is not round. It's flat. You sail too far, you're going to fall off the edge. Is that true? No, of course not. <laughs> so the Bible was true. Everything the Bible intends to teach us has always proven true, whether it's science or whether it's, it's, it's sociology, our relationship to one another, our relationship. Everything, never been proven wrong, has it? We call that the infallibility of the scripture, right? That everything it intends to teach is absolutely true. The inerrancy of scripture, that it's accurate in its original manuscripts, right? Anyway, okay, let's go back. Prepare yourself and be ready, you and your companies that are gathered about you and be a guard for them. This word guard for them is a leader or a provider for them. So that, would, that makes sense too, doesn't it? You know, Russia makes its money through its energy sales, oil and gas, but the second revenue producer for Russia is what? Military hardware. Military hardware. Military hardware. Largest exporter or, or uh, merchant, merchant in military hardware. And so what the text is telling us here, and I, there's no way... Ezekiel could have ever known that, that Russia would be a leader for this group and also a provider, a provider for their weapons or whatever that they need, their supplies, to engage in this battle with Israel. Isn't that amazing? Precisely what Russia is today, isn't it? Yeah. After many days, you will be visited in the latter years. What does that mean? End times. This end time. This, this is eschatological. Eschatological simply means the study of end times. We have a particular eschatology, don't we? That we are derived from the scriptures. If you, you study the scriptures, you're going to come away with a certain eschatology or understanding of end times events. Now, the Muslims have an eschatology too, don't they? Who are they waiting for? What's their eschatology involved? The Mahdi. Who's the Mahdi? The Antichrist, that's exactly right. If you, if you study what the Quran says in describing the Mahdi, the Mahdi is described in the Bible as the Antichrist. Isn't that amazing? And what does the Antichrist bring when he comes on the scene? Short term, short term, but then it's followed by, he, he's that rider on the white horse that brings forth, uh, not, not at the end of the revelation, but the beginning of revelation. He's that rider on the white horse who's riding forth to conquer, right? And then what does he bring forth? Death and, 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 and I'm sorry? Famine, disease. I mean, it's, it's just chaos, death, and destruction. That's what he's going to bring forth, right? The Mahdi. Now, now, if you listen to the clerics in Iran, those who lead Iran as a nation, not the Persian people as much, but the leaders themselves, they believe that they can only bring about the Mahdi through... Through what? Violence, chaos, destruction, the destruction of the Zionists, the Zionist entity, but, but bringing about and, and purposing to bring about an Islamic caliphate. But through all this death and destruction, the Mahdi will surface. Now, they believe it's quite acceptable if it's necessary for them to do what? What? No? No? They are willing to commit national suicide. Iran and the leaders of Iran will gladly sacrifice the nation themselves for the sake of bringing the Mahdi to existence. Now, what, 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 you know, if, if they start to send some of those nuclear weapons Israel's way, what's going to happen? Mutual destruction, right? Yeah. Now, we know as we read the text later on next week, as we get into chapter 39, you're going to see that God intervenes, and God is going to destroy five-sixths of this invading force. Only one-fifth will be left. They're going to be amazed because it will prove to the world that there's a God who governs over Israel, right? That God exists. 
But nonetheless, that they have that particular eschatology that they believe that if necessary, they'll sacrifice the nation, they'll sacrifice themselves for the Mahdi to come forth. And even if they sacrifice themselves, what's their reward? Heaven with all of these uh, celestial virgins and they become their own god. I mean, it's just like Mormonism, you know? And, and if you're a good Mormon, what are you promised? That you become your own god. In Mormonism, there's millions and millions of gods if you're a good Mormon, right? A good Mormon, you become god, you have your own planet, you have these, all, these celestial virgins that you repopulate your planet with. How crazy is all of that? After many days you will be visited in the latter years. You will come into the land of those brought back from the sword and gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel, which had long been desolate, for they were brought out of the nations, and now they all, all of them dwell safely. Now, uh, that's precisely what God had predicted. He, sa he said, I'm going to bring you back from all of the nations from which you have been dispersed. Now, when Ezekiel wrote this, were they dispersed among all the nations of the world? No. Where were they dispersed? In Babylon. They were in Babylon. A few left in Assyria, but the majority of the Jewish exiles were in Babylon. They weren't in all the nations of the world. But God predicted in chapters 36 and 37, he would gather them from all the nations of the world. Now, when did that happen? In 70 AD, they were dispersed. When did God regather them? Right now, right now, he's beginning to regather them. The aliyah that's, that Jews are making today. Now, there is a call by Jews worldwide to encouraging them to come home to Israel. Why? It's not safe for them. Where's the safest place for Jewry since the diaspora? And now it's become very dangerous for them, hasn't it? Try to wrap your mind around this statistic. Harvard students today, University of Harvard, an elite university, right? Ivy League. 51% of the Harvard students say Israel should be eliminated. Israel does not have a right to exist. 51% of Harvard students. How do you explain that? Tremendous anti-Semitism on our college campuses today. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Let's go through the text. Yes? were brought back out of the nations, and now all of them dwell safely or confidently. The word here can be in confidence and in security. Israel has great confidence in what? In their military. Their military. Now, uh, it's amazing how there's such a tiny nation, a small percentage of the world population, yet uh, in that part of the world, they're probably the mightiest army there, aren't they? And especially when you consider their uh, ability to exercise their nuclear capability. You will ascend, coming like a storm, covering the land like a cloud, you and all your troops and many peoples with you. Wow. Who's ascending? Who's coming like a cloud? Gog, Magog, Russia, Iran, Turkey. Now, uh, what was that fellow's name that uh, previously was the president in uh, Iran? Little guy, dark hair. What was his name? He's part Jew. Whatever his name was. <laughs> I don't know. I don't remember. But he said, he said that Israel will be destroyed. The Zionist entity will be destroyed with one cloud. What was he talking about? A nuclear weapon. A nuclear bomb. Isn't that interesting? They come like a cloud. That's what the Bible says here. Hmm. And he, he said that Allah, Allah is gathering them all together in one place so they can deal with the problem quickly. All at once. You will ascend, coming like a storm, covering the land like a cloud, you and all the troops and many peoples with you. Thus says the Lord God, on that day it shall come to pass that thoughts will arise in your mind and you will make an evil plan. You will say, I will go up against a land of unwalled villages. I will go into a peaceful people who dwell safely. All of them dwell without walls and having neither bars nor gates to take plunder, to take booty, to stretch out your hand against the waste places that are again inhabited and against a people gathered from the nations who have acquired livestock and goods who dwell in the midst of the land. Now, not only do they hate the Jews and they want the Jews destroyed and driven into the Mediterranean, but what's Russia's intent? 
2 billion barrels of oil just off the coast, plus their gas reserves, uh, plus so many other resources that are there in Israel. That's what they're after, aren't they? Because Israel very soon is going to become a competitor of theirs where? In Europe, providing energy needs to Europe. Uh, right now, Europe is dependent upon Russia, but we're going to, you know, the, the, uh, there's been an international agreement to build this pipeline from Israel across Cyprus into Europe and then up into uh, the European nations, particularly Germany, to provide their energy needs. Bless you, whoever that was. Now, interestingly enough, there are some people who are going to complain. Verse 13, Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish and all her young lions will say to you, have you come to take plunder? Have you gathered an army to take booty, to carry away silver and gold and to take away livestock and goods and to take great plunder? Who's, who's complaining? Saudi Arabia? Some of the Gulf states? Who else? Tarshish and her young lions? Where's Tarshish? The British Isles, England. Who's your young lions? The young colonies of England. Australia, United States, right? That would make sense. I mean, you know, how, how, how could he possibly know this 2,500 years ago? But the, those would be the nations that would protest. Now, they're not militarily intervening. They're not going to come against this confederation, but they're going to protest. Hey, it's not right. It's not fair for you to do this. You know, you're being an oppressor. Much like uh, what, what is taking place with, with Russia and U Ukraine right now, the world considers them the oppressor and, and the Ukrainians the oppressed. <clears throat> Any good guys in this situation with Russia and Ukraine? Do you know the Ukrainians are scripting, uh, conscripting into the military now pregnant females? If you're less than six months pregnant, you're going to serve. Why? They're running out of men. Did you, did you know this? Did you hear, anybody hear about this? Stopping public transportation, public buses, trains, getting on the, seeing them to anybody of military age, drag them off, send them over to a camp, give them a uniform and a gun, very little training, send them to the front, to the slaughterhouse, to the meat grinder. It's terrible. You know how many Russians have already lost their life? I'm not talking about those left the country, but you know how many we estimate lost their life already in this conflict? 450,000. 450,000 lost their life. Amazing. No good guys. No good guys. You hear about all the uh, multi-million dollar properties that Zelensky, his mother-in-law, and his inner circle are purchasing in Europe? The Bahamas, the United States. Very soon, they're all going to escape there. They, listen, they don't care about their people. They don't care about the country. They've enriched themselves. They've become wealthy to the point they'll never have to worry again, nor will their children's children's children have to worry, so they think. And they're going to escape. They've collaborated with the West for this proxy war against Russia, knowing, knowing right from the very beginning you could never win. You know. Deb, you have a question? You have a question? You can ask me a question. Oh. Yeah. Very soon, nobody will remember who he is. <laughs> who? <laughs> but it's amazing, the corruption, isn't it? Now, who started this war? We did. The United States caused this whole conflict. Oh, who, who is it that allowed this conflict to take place that's existing in Israel right now with Hamas? How did we allow that to happen? Well, all that money we gave Iran. Listen, the Trump administration had the Iranians on their knees. They were financially bankrupt. There was a, a, a rebellion beginning among the people of Iran. It just took one change in administration to turn all of that around. And we have given them billions of dollars thinking that we could appease them. Is there any appeasing them? No. There's no way you can appease Muslims and their religious convictions about what they believe their God has called them to do. Because this is all spiritual, isn't it? 
Yes, you carry away silver and gold to take plunder, livestock and goods and great plunder. Verse 14, therefore, son of man, prophesy and say to Gog, thus says the Lord God, on that day when my people Israel dwell safely, will I not know it? Then you will come from your place from the far north, you and many peoples with you, all of them riding on horses, a great company and a mighty army. Now, if you put your finger on Moscow, on Jerusalem, and you go to the extreme north to find the next largest city, as far north as you can go, it's Moscow. Isn't that interesting? And that's precisely, now he didn't know this. Ezekiel didn't know this. He didn't have a world map. God had given him that understanding, that revelation, right? That insight. But he said, from the extreme north, they're coming to get you. If you look at where Moscow is relative to Jerusalem, if you, get, if you Google later on, get a world map, and you'll find out it's exactly north of Jerusalem is Moscow. Farthest city north, Moscow. Amazing. Wow. Then you'll know that I am God when he <laughs> declares the end of the matter from the beginning. Verse 16, you will come against my people like a cloud to cover the land that will be in the latter days, the end times, the end of days, that I will bring you against my land so that the nations may know me that when I am hallowed in you, O Gog, before their eyes. What's the nations going to know? That he is God. Now, he's going to judge them. We'll talk about the judgment here in a minute. But what I want to talk about for the moment is how did, how did this happen? How did this happen that... In our day, Russia, Iran, and Turkey are going to gather together with a few other Arab states, lesser Arab states, and come against the nation of Israel, and not one nation in the world is going to help defend them. Protest, but won't come for their defense. How, how do you explain the anti-Semitism that's growing in our country? Now, there's tremendous pressure being put on Netanyahu. Listen, all of the liberals are blaming who for the situation in Israel? Netanyahu specifically, Israel and Netanyahu. Israel is the oppressor and the Palestinians are the oppressed, right? But this Jew hatred, now for a long time, um, what was that movement, the BDS movement? What was that, BDS? Boycott, disinvest, and sanction. Boycott, disinvest, and sanction who? Israel. Who was doing that? Liberals. Liberals where? The liberal church. Hmm? The, the covenant churches who embraced covenant theology and, and replacement theology were a part of that movement. It began around 2005 or so. All of our, our, our universities of higher learning embraced the BDS movement. And, and they said, listen, listen, we're, we're not anti-Jew. We're anti-Zionism. Because they equated Zionism with racism. Right? And if you're a racist, that's the worst thing they could possibly label you. Isn't that true today? The worst thing that could possibly say to you is you're a racist, right? And they use that against everybody. And so the BDS movement declared that we're not against Jews. We don't hate Jews. We just, we are against Zionism, which is racism. Is that true? No. Is Zionism racism? No, no. Now, why do they think it is? What does Zionism declare? Jews are God's people, more specifically, relative to what we've been studying. They have a right to the land that God had given them. That's the, the land that God had given them. And, and so Zionism is the belief that God had given the Jews a right to the land that they're in. Now, a lot of the world believes that that is racism. Okay? But it's not. But as a result of the BDS movement, now we have this uh, DEI. What is this DEI cult? Diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? Okay. Now, what does that say? We, we're no longer a meritocracy, right? What is a meritocracy? By your merit, right? So everybody has an equal opportunity to get ahead if you apply yourself, right? So if you work hard, you mind your business, keep your nose clean, you should probably succeed in this society. Um, I remember Dennis Prager saying years ago that all that was necessary for a young man to succeed in America is finish high school, right? Get a diploma, get your high school diploma, learn a trade, and work hard. That's it. And, and don't get a young girl pregnant before marriage, right? And, and you, you'll succeed. If you do that, that alone, you'll succeed in our, in our society, in our culture. That's true, isn't it? 
But the DEI cult says, no, 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 no. We're, we're not going to allow people to be rewarded based upon their merit. We're going to have to make the playing field equal. Equal. It began with affirmative action. Remember affirmative action? You're placing people in positions where they're completely incompetent just because of their race, right? That's a problem. Now, here's the problem they saw, the reason why they could justify their hatred and prejudice against the Jews. The Jews are what population of the United States? You know what percentage of the population they are in the United States? No, that's the world. You know what they are in the United States? Here we go, those two percenters again. That's two percent. Two percent. Now, historically, historically, in the institutions of higher learning, they were over 25% of the student body. How do you figure that? How is that fair? What's the problem with that? Why did that, how did that happen that for all these major institutions, Ivy League institutions, historically, 25% or more of the student body were Jewish? Come on, give me an answer. They're, thank you, Carolyn. They're smart. Now, you, you don't see 25% of them in the NFL, the NBA, baseball league. That's not their giftedness, is it? No, you don't see them there, right? But you, but you definitely see them in places of higher learning. As I said to you before, one-tenth of one percent of the world's population, yet the majority of Nobel Prize winners in every discipline or study, it's a Jew. Why? Because it's fulfilling Abraham's promise that through your seed, Abraham, all the nations of the world shall be, and boy, we certainly are, aren't we? And we talk about them becoming a mighty power. Who gave us the ability for atomic power? Hydrogen bomb. Who are all these scientists? Jews. <laughs> your, mo your, mo your, your, your phone in your pocket, or wherever it might be. Who gave you that? Jews. Medical advances have been made in medical science. Who gave you that? Jews. Now, now, we used to believe that because of their brains, because they were such intelligent people, because they were such intelligent gifts to us, we would promote them. Now, listen, I don't have any problem with having a Jewish surgeon operate on me if he's competent. I don't want somebody there just because of their race. Do you? No, but we're seeing all the problems we're having now because of this DEI cult, right? People in places... If, uh, did you hear about the airlines that had to be grounded the other day? Because a passenger on the plane noticed, hey, not all the rivets are in that wing. Hello, you know, I'm a little concerned, you know? <laughs> Can you imagine? So they had to ground the plane. Whose plane was that? Whose plane was that? Who was going to get on that plane? Anthony Blinken. How's DEI, how's DEI working out for you, Anthony? <laughs> now listen, we're in a dangerous situation because we're promoting people in places of, of position and authority for which they, we, we have Supreme Court justices that can't identify who a woman is. Highest judges in the land. You, can't, you don't get any higher authority judicially. Can't identify what a woman is. Unbelievable. Some of the decisions that are being made. But all of DEI, now, with DEI, Israel and the Jews in particular, so it's not hatred against Zionism anymore, it's, it's a prejudice against the Jews. Why? Because the Jews are the oppressors, and who's the oppressed? Everybody's not as smart as a Jew. You know, why should they be 25% of the faculties of these higher, higher institutions of higher learning? Why? Because, they, because of their merit, because of their SAT scores, not because of the color of their skin or, or their gender or their sexual preference, right? But now, you know, all these universities now are holding down the student population of Jews to 2%, because that's equity. Is that right? No. No. When it comes to medicine, beloved, you better be very, very thoughtful and investigate who your doctor is, and particularly your surgeon. Because we have a lot of people graduating from medical school, medical, they're not competent. They shouldn't be there. Engineers, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, this is a problem, a huge problem. Now, let's go back to the Jews now. 
Now, because the Jews are the oppressors, all right, because the Jews have been given uh, preferential treatment, supposedly, right? Uh, look at what they control. Who controlled Hollywood for so long? The Jews. Who controlled the banking industry? The Jews. Why? They're good businessmen. They don't control the sports industry, do they? No. Uh, recreational outfitters, you see many Jews doing that? <laughs> no. But, but in their area of giftedness, they excel, right? And rightfully so. Okay, so now you have 51% of the student body of Harvard University and some of these other elite universities declaring that the Jews need to be, Israel specific needs to be eliminated. That's why they can protest with these Palestinians from the river to the sea. From the river to the sea. What does that mean? Genocide. Some of these statistics. I did. You know, how many of you know who Carolyn Glick is? You know who she is? Who is she? Yeah, yeah. She, she, used to be, she used to reside here in the United States. She made Aliyah to Israel. She's a Jew, brilliant girl, brilliant woman. And uh, if you ever want to read some uh, very provocative articles, uh, op-eds, read her, Carolyn Glick. And she has her own website. Let me see. I just lost what I wanted to tell you. Here we go. After October 7th, but the Palestinians want peace, don't they? You know, Anthony Blinken at Davos just said recently that it's an interesting thing for him to consider that the Arabs seem to want peace more than the Jews. Is that true? No, no. And then he said there's, there's, there's no military solution to this. This is not a military problem. It's a real estate problem. Is that true? No, no, no. There was a military action against Israel and against the population of Israel, wasn't it? And so the only way to resolve that is you've got to destroy this snake. Right? You've got to cut off the head of Hamas. 80%, 80% of Palestinians polled recently agreed with October 7th. Hundreds of Palestinian citizens, not Hamas, went through those border incursions, and they themselves murdered Israelis. They kidnapped Israelis, Palestinian citizens, not, not Hamas, and then the kidnapped citizens that they had captured, children, men, women, they negotiated selling them to Hamas. Did you know that? Do you know how many Israelis were affected on that one day? 1,200 were murdered, 4,800 were injured, and was it? Almost 400 were taken captive. One day, right? The Palestinians all agreed. That was 80% said it was wonderful. 94%, excuse me, 90% of the Palestinians polled said that was the proudest day in their life. They're so proud to be a Palestinian after October 7th. So when, it, when the news media, when MSNBC and CNN tries to portray them as the oppressors and a peaceful, loving people, just the opposite is true. 84% interviewed said the Jews have to be eliminated. These are your peace partners? 84% want you dead, eliminated, driven into the sea? Who's Fatah? Who's Fatah? Yeah, that's, that's Yasser Arafat's former uh, governmental body in, in the West Bank, the PLO. The, P, the leading governmental body of the PLO is Fatah. Fatah came out last week and encouraging Hamas, Hezbollah, Islamic Jihad, all, let's all gather together and become one. And they're all sworn to the elimination of one group of people. Oh, but we're going to make peace with them. We're going to give them their own state. If Israel would agree to that, it's national suicide. But who is the world portraying as the obstacle to peace? Israel, and who specifically? And so now our country, Europe, the United Nations, would like nothing more than a regime change in Israel. Now, something's happened, though. In Israel, you had a division between the liberal Jews and the conservative Jews, right? 20% uh, of the population of Israel is Arab, but they're Israelis. Israeli Arabs, okay? 20%. 80% are Jews. Of that 80%, they're divided between liberals and conservatives. Um, 
63% of Israelis polled do not agree with two-state solution. 63%. That's overwhelming, right? No, no two-state solution. Why? Because of October 7th. In October, before October 7th, the left, the, the uh, Jews who are more liberal on the left as opposed to the right, what was their philosophy, ideology, with regard to the Palestinians? We, we can live together. We can, we can live at peace with these people. You know, and I mean, listen, you know, to some degree, they, they're self-hating Jews. That's what Netanyahu calls them, right? They believe that Israel has caused the problem that they have with the Arabs. The Arabs hate Israel because of the way Israel has treated them. Is that true? No. And the, and the evidence is overwhelming, okay? But they believe that if you, if you appease the Palestinian population, then they'll live at peace with us. And they believe that. And so many of the Jews who existed on the border, right there between Israel and Gaza, that's what they believed. And they hired many of them. Many of those Palestinians came across the border every day to work for all these Israelis. And what the Israelis thought would happen when, Yas when uh, Ariel Sharon had given Gaza back to the Palestinians, that Palest uh, Gaza was going to become the Singapore of the, of the Middle East. They were going to put so much investment in agricultural development, technology, et cetera, et cetera. But with the billions, billions, with a B, billions of dollars of the West investment, Europe, the United States, all these nations pouring it into Gaza, what did they do with all that money? Prepared for war. Do you know how many miles of tunnels they have built? 500. 500 miles of the tunnel structure. There, there's a Gaza above and Gaza below. There's Gaza City, which is above ground, and there's Gaza City, which is controlled by Hamas, and that's underground. But the reason why Israel hasn't been able to, to get this over with as quickly as possible, because they had no idea, no idea whatsoever that the underground Gaza was as extensive as it is. Now, they're, they're encircling what particular part of South Gaza right now, the Jews? Kanyunis. Why? Why? What, what, now they've got him encircled. What, what do they believe is under the ground there in Kanyunis? The headquarters of Hamas and the three leaders that they're after. Now they're hoping that that's where they are, that they've got them, right? That they haven't escaped to Egypt, you know? But that's what this is all about right now. But the world, the United Nations, Europe, and the United States are demanding a ceasefire and that Israel agree to a peace plan that they're presenting and that. Hamas will release the hostages or their bodies, okay? Because they know some of them are already dead. They're not alive. And, and, and then Israel will go back to what it was doing, and Hamas will be the government in Gaza. And what would that really conclude? That they won. They won. Now, they'll agree to a two-state solution temporarily. The leader of Fatah, the leader of Hamas, uh, Hezbollah, they all, they, they, listen, in Arab philosophy, you can sleep with your enemy for the purpose of eventually killing him. Killing him, yeah. So it's quite acceptable to, to appease your enemy, to sleep with your enemy, to, to try to bring a false peace with your enemy, and then, and then to murder them. All of these Palestinians that were crossing over into these kibbutzim, right, of all these liberal Jews who said, well, you know, we can work together. What were they doing? For, for years, what were they doing, the Palestinians who were coming in, crossing the border, and working for these Jews? Collecting information. How many people in the family? Who was a reservist? How many guns you had? And they were feeding all this information. You know, in, in, in military campaigns, military intelligence is very, very, very important. So when they crossed over, when they made that, that border crossing, they knew exactly where they were going, who was there, who had guns, who didn't, who was a reservist, who was in the army, who wasn't. They knew everything. They, and and they, all that information they had received from these people who pretended to be their friends. When they're, they're part of the 80% the that never became happier than when October 7th then occurred, they're part of the 90% that never felt prouder to be a Palestinian. And that's the people that we're trying to force Israel to live at peace with? How can you live at peace with somebody who's sworn to your death and your destruction? So how is it that the whole world, all the nations of the world, could come against Jerusalem? How is it that no one would intervene in protest when it looks like Israel is going to be destroyed? Why? Why? Because we've convinced that... Now, 
After October 7th, the left and the right in Israel have come together. What's the left realized? That the right was right all along. The right was right. They said, you can't make peace with these people. You know, you, you have, listen, the right said you have to listen to everything that they say because they tell you what they mean. They'll tell you their intention. They'll tell you what they want to do. And the left said, ah, oh, it's just hyperbole. They don't mean it. They don't, they don't really want to kill us. You know, it's just, they're exaggerating. Was it? No, not at all. Now, the Jews here in the United States, in the, uh, the Jews took a great deal of pride, and, and most liberal Jews, uh, some Orthodox Jews, in the fact that they joined a movement in the United States back in the 60s. What was that? Civil rights, yeah. I mean, every, every major synagogue, Orthodox synagogue, liberal synagogues were very much in support of the civil rights movement, rightfully so, because they felt that they wanted to be on the side of the oppressors, right? Makes sense. Well, what happened over time, they have lost the understanding of being a Jew religiously or spiritually, and they became a political entity. Most Jews, historically now, vote Democratic. It happened to the black church, too, didn't it? You know, the black church has been won over, became a political organization, and forgot all about its, its, its spirituality and the religious convictions they should have. I'm sorry? Yeah, they believed the lie. Well, the Jews did the same thing. The liberal Jews, you go to a reform synagogue, and, and uh, very rarely would they have a teaching on the Old Testament, but boy, they sure have a teaching on, on pro-abortion pro rights, uh, et cetera, et cetera, right? And so they, they had forsaken their, their religious foundings and foundation, and they became a political organization more than a religious. Is that not true? That's true of Jews. Jews don't know their Bible. They don't know the Old Testament. Uh, John Michael, you got your friend down there in Florida, you know. He's amazed at, at what you share with him just from the Old Testament alone, isn't he? Yeah. You, you watch these interviews with uh, Messianic Jews who are speaking with Jews, whether it's here or in Israel, and it's amazing how ignorant they are of the Old Testament. Why? Because Jewry has become a political organization or entity rather than spiritual. But now... Like in Israel, where the left realizes that the right was right all along, 63% say no. Previously to that, the majority agreed with a two-state solution. But now they realize reality has set in, right? All of that uh, nonsense and their, their delusion came crashing down on the rocks of reality when it was obvious what the Palestinians really wanted to do. Well, to some extent, the Jews here in the United States are waking up to that fact, too that they have aligned themselves with a political organization and a movement, BDS, D-E-I, that is now targeting them. There is, it's not Zionists anymore. They're Jew hatred. They hate Jews. That's why it's so acceptable today. And unfortunately, the majority of our kids going to these colleges have been indoctrinated in this nonsense that you know, we're, we're uh, colonialists, right? And we oppress people. We, we, don't, we don't export the ideals of freedom. We just want to oppress people and take advantage of them all over the world. Look at how much these young people go to college and they end up hating us as a country, hating us as a people. There's a move now. They want to remove what from the New York Harbor? The Statue of Liberty. Now, it won't surprise me that they, they'll, they'll succeed. It's amazing how we want to completely ignore our history, well, our true history, right? Come Lord Jesus. Yes, come Lord Jesus. Now, Jews are waking up to the fact that the very, very groups that they've aligned themselves with now have turned on them, right? And they only have one friend in the world. Who's that? Zionist Christians. Zionist Christians. You, you, Crazy evangelicals, you know. Now, who was blamed for the Trump victory in Iowa the other day? Last Tuesday. Not last night, last Tuesday. Evangelicals. White evangelicals, you ignorant white bigots. You know, your guts, your 
country and your guns and your God, right? <laughs> now, ju ju listen, just as Israel's embrace of liberal theology has turned on them, our own nation is going to turn on us. When the values that established this nation, when the values that made this nation great and, and are, are rewarding people based upon their merits, based upon their work ethic, based upon their ability, not, not their sexual preference, not their skin color, right? Not their ethnicity. But if you can do the job, you pass the test. That's historically the way it was, wasn't it? Well, it's not that way anymore. You know, the people in places of power and influence that are completely incompetent, beginning with, begin where? Our White House. We got, we got the most incompetent individual ever. I mean, the most corrupt, the most incompetent. It's amazing, isn't it? And then if he's eliminated tomorrow, what are we going to get? Oh, my. Oh, my. <laughs> She'll laugh us into the destruction. <laughs> what, what about that? Then? Not to the border and the insanity there. The billions of dollars unaccounted for that we shipped over to Ukraine. And a lot of that money came right back into the pockets of these politicians. Did you understand this? It's a money laundering scheme. And Zelensky cooperated simply because they promised him and he's going to escape very soon. He'll be, he'll, he and his entourage, they're going to escape out of Ukraine and leave Ukraine absolutely decimated. And what's going to happen with the, west, the eastern part of Ukraine? It's going to become part of Russia. And who caused all of this pain and suffering? We did. Who's caused all of the pain and suffering that the Jews are experiencing today? We did. We did. The Biden administration, this liberal ideology of the oppressor and the oppressed, and we need to appease the oppressed because the poor people, they, you know, certainly they'll agree with us, certainly we'll be able to win them over. No. I can't hear you. Oh, Bob, oh, yeah, oh, hey, listen. It, this all started in the 70s. This is not new. This all started in the 70s, you know. And, and I pray, I hope and pray that, that, that Trump is reelected. I hope he's not assassinated, you know. Because I wouldn't put it past them at all if they wouldn't try to do that. No. But praise God, the righteous judge is coming. And he will judge righteously. Every devil gets their due. Every saint their reward. And what would you say? God is in control. He's large and in charge. That's right. That's right. And that's what you got to remember. Now, God is giving us enough rope hang ourselves. We're going to be without excuse when he judges. But that's what's happening today. That's why Israel is going to be sacrificed by the, the West because of our ideology, our idiocy. Isn't that true? This, this, this hope to God, and I pray, that somebody will come to their senses and destroy this DEI cult that exists. Because every, you know, it's just, it takes away all incentive, doesn't it? The, the, the entrepreneurship, the, the, the uh, inventive qualities and gifts that we had in the United States, the, the brain trust. I mean, why, why, is, why is South Korea the, leading, the world's leading manufacturer of microchips? Who gave them that technology? Where'd they learn that? Right here. South Korea sent all of those China to begin with, and all these young students and engineers here to learn all of that technology. And now there's the, the world's number one manufacturer of semiconductors. So why is that important? Huh? You can't, you, you can't get them. But where do we need them? Why do we need them? They're in everything. Everything. You know, it's, it's just amazing. You see what's happening with electric cars? The uh, Ionix 5, you know what that is? Hyundai. That's the Hyundai's big EV, right? What happens if your engine goes, if your uh, battery dies? Do you know what happens to, you know what it costs to replace the battery in the Onyx 5? Just to buy the battery, not, not to have it installed, just to buy the battery on the Onyx 5. $60,000 if you have to replace the battery. It's, it's crazy. Now you see what's happening with EV sales and EVs sitting in a, in a you know, 
I mean, cold weather, they work really well, don't they? <laughs> I mean, you know, we've been lied to. Lie, 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 lie. And they don't tell you about how those batteries came about. They don't tell you what happens when your battery dies. And, you know, it just, I mean, what do you do once you, know, you have to get rid of all these batteries? I mean, it's just amazing talking about contaminating the environment. Lie, lie, lie. Why? Because they're the seed of the serpent. And he is the father of all lies. And who's he lying about more than anything now? Israel and the church, the, the body of Christ and the Jewish people. Number one enemy, right? We talked about that on Sunday a little bit. How, how is it that Israel has been persecuted, hunted, sought after the Jews more than any other people group on the face of the earth? Why? Why? Because God intended to use them to be such a blessing to the world spiritually and, and in many other ways. But first and foremost, spiritually. Why? Because, because our Savior is the Jewish Messiah. And so the enemy's number one tactic is what? Divide and conquer. Divide and conquer. And he was, he was trying to divide the Jews or Israel from who? The Gentiles. From us. When there's a, we're grafted in, they're our brothers, right? It's through Israel. We have a great debt that we owe them for our spiritual well-being. Is that not true? Yeah. Amazing. Just amazing what's happening. Oh, but it's all, listen, in our eschatology, which is true, it's all true, it's all true, it's all coming together right now. You know, I, I, I'm not a prophet, and God hasn't told me directly, I don't think I'm going to finish the year. I don't think I'm celebrating Christmas this year in this place. Do you? No, no, no. We're so close, beloved. And, and, and the enemies of God and his people are salivating. This is their moment. This is their opportunity. Now, you see what's happening. It's escalating, right, in the Middle East, if you've been paying attention? Our enemies are so emboldened, the enemies of God and the enemies of Israel. And we're going to capitulate. Unless, unless Donald J. Trump gets in office, who knows? Do you think Russia would have invaded Ukraine if Trump was in office? You think Hamas would have invaded Israel? No. Iran would have been crippled by now. Financially broke. Instead, what have we done? Billions of dollars. Amazing. Amazing. When we get into chapter, well, we'll get into the judgment of these nations. We've got a few more minutes. Let's look. Chapter 37, or 38, I mean, and chapter, verse 17, the judgment of God. Thus says the Lord God, are you he of whom I have spoken in former days by my servants, the prophets of Israel, who prophesied for years in those days that I would bring them against them? And it will come to pass at that time, that same time, when Gog comes against the land of Israel, says the Lord God, that my fury will show in my face. For in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath I have spoken. Surely in that day there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. Now we know that. If you go to Isaiah 24, he talks about the polar axis shift. That's frightening if you read what Isaiah describes in chapter 24. What would happen with a polar axis shift? But that's precisely what he's describing from a scientific point of view. This great, tremendous earthquake and upheaval on the earth. And it's also spoken of in Revelation, Revelation 16 as well. But if you go to verse 20 now, so that the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, the beasts of the field, all creeping things that creep upon the earth, and all the men who are on the face of the earth shall shake at my presence. The mountains shall be thrown down, steep places shall fall, and every wall shall fall down to the ground. I will call for a sword against Gog throughout all my mountains, says the Lord God. Every man's sword will be against his neighbor, brother, and I will bring him into judgment with pestilence and bloodshed. I will rain down on him and on his troops and on many peoples who are with him, flooding rain, great hailstones, fire and brimstone. Thus I will magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. Hallelujah. Will they learn the lesson? Nope. Nope. Now Gog and Magog is mentioned uh, no less than three times in the scriptures. The first time here. 
in this battle. But you need to understand the other references to Gog or Magog are, in a figurative sense, just representing enemies that come against God's people. Where else might that be? Right after the millennium, for one. Gog and Magog and the War of Armageddon, right? Which is just before the millennial reign. And then at that, uh, chapter 19 of Revelation. And then after the millennial reign of Christ, Gog and Magog again, when Satan is released from his captivity, and he's bound for a thousand years. But then he relieves a rebellion with Gog and Magog. Now, it's not this Gog and Magog, but it's speaking of in a figurative sense, not literal, Okay. So you need to distinguish the difference. This battle is prior to the tribulation period. This battle, I think, uh, could take place at any time. And I think along with this, simultaneously, just before, just after, will be the rapture of the church. Now, at the 5-6 of this, when we get into chapter 39 next week, you're going to see that God is going to destroy 5-6 of this invading force. Fire and brimstone rain down upon them. It's described for us in Zechariah that their eyeballs melt in their eye sockets, their tongue in their mouth before their flesh, and the flesh from their bones before their bones even fall to the ground. So we know what that is. That's a thermonuclear war. You know, I mean, nothing else can explain that kind of destruction, right? In the aftermath of all of that, where it appears that, oh my goodness, the whole world is going to be destroyed. World War III, nuclear. Wow. That's the last thing we want to happen, right? We've been talking about the nuclear clock, the doomsday clock, excuse me, the last few days, right? What did they say? You've been paying attention? They adjusted the doomsday clock? No. We're like less than a minute from destruction, according to the doomsday clock? You didn't see this? All these scientists, all these thinkers saying, you know, we're very, very close to a nuclear conflict. You didn't understand that, you know. But, but we're, listen, perfect love casts out all fear. We don't, we don't need to be afraid of anything. What's the worst thing that happens to you? You get an upgrade. You get ascended. You go to heaven, right? That's the worst thing that possibly happen. Worst. In the meantime, we need to let everyone know that there's a Savior. And you can escape the judgment that's coming, Right? It's inevitable, but it's escapable, right? Now, in the aftermath of this, though, this, this conflict, this Gog-Magog conflict, this is not the war of Armageddon. This is not the end of the world. What does this precipitate? Huh? The rise of the Antichrist. The rise of the Antichrist. Hi-ho, silver tongue. You know, this, this, this man who brings a peace throughout the world, and, and particularly there in Israel, on Mount Zion, he brings a peace between Islam and the Jews and the apostate church. And he brings all the world together to sing, we are one, we are the world, you know? <laughs> but it doesn't last long, does it? No. Because then he stands in the rebuilt temple in the Holy of Holies and he proclaims himself to be the God over all gods. He used to be worshipped, right? Yeah. Fascinating. We, we live in such an exciting time. There's, I don't think there's been a more exciting time to be alive and be a Christian than right now. Even when Jesus walked the earth, how many people could really enjoy and enter into that? Very few. Limited, because he was limited by his physical ability. But now the Spirit of God is everywhere at once. Now he's with us. And we're seeing the culmination of the end of the age, the latter days, the end times. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Better days are coming, aren't they? Much, much better. I had to go to the dentist the other day, and the little girl working on me said, uh, we got in a conversation. She likes, to, I said, well, what do you like to do recreationally? She said, I like to read. Oh, what genre do you like to read? Stephen King. <laughs> okay, we, I know where we need to go here. <laughs> So, so <laughs> it's, it's difficult to talk with it. <laughs> so I asked her if she knew anything about Walt Disney or the, the wonderful world of Disney. She, oh, I go to Disneyland. I love that. Well, you know, and a lot of LGBTQ love Disneyland today, don't they? But that's not the, the Disney world of Walt Disney. I said, well, yeah, but have you ever, have you, do you know anything about Walt Disney himself? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, he had a wonderful imagination. Did you know that? 
I mean, if you let, I mean, think, think about what it was like. You know, I remember growing up and watching the wonderful world of Disney every Sunday night. Did you? And wasn't it wonderful? All of the colors and, and it just, it was fascinating. And it was so pure. It was so clean. It was so good. Now, you let Walt Disney's imagination run wild, and he can't even scratch the surface on how wonderful heaven is, what it's going to be like, right? And I said, now, you like to read who? I said, you let Stephen King's demented, demonic imagination ooh, run wild, and he can't even scratch the surface on how horrible hell is going to be. You know those two extremes? I said, you a believer? Did you grow up in church? <laughs> Listen, take advantage of all the opportunity that we have right now until he comes, because we're leaving here. But we want to give everybody the message before we do leave, right? Yeah, I had some guys working on my yard today, uh, doing some trimming, and, and uh, I spent half the time with them just sharing the Lord. They want to know what I thought about what's happening in the world today. You really want to know what I think? <laughs> I said, when's the last time you went to a funeral and, and the officiating minister said, I'm sorry to say there's no reason for me to believe that the deceased is in heaven, but he's probably where you don't want to be. And when's the last time you heard somebody? Never. I've never heard a pastor. Never. Have you ever heard? No, no. You have. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, that's the reality. The ma majority of people, my friend, I'm talking to a couple of guys, I said, you're going to hell. And they don't understand how horrible it's going to be. But God doesn't desire that. No, we do. Right? Mm. Listen, time's short. Take every opportunity you have to share the truth lovingly. Amen? But share the truth. Don't, don't hesitate. Listen, if you're a little timid, then pray for boldness. God will give you boldness. Pray for that boldness. But don't hesitate. And, and, you, and you're saying it because, like I told these two fellows to say, I said, listen, every person you ever meet, Jesus died for. Now, whether they enter into the effectiveness or not, that's another matter. But Jesus died for the world, didn't he? And so I'll never meet anybody in this world that Jesus didn't die for. And I'll really recognize I'm getting somewhere when I start to love my enemies. <laughs> right? I'm just curious. The girl, the girl that you said you talked to at the end, you asked her if she went to church or grew up in church. What did she say? Yes, she grew up in a Baptist church. She grew up in Williamston. Yeah, she said she was a Christian. I said, well, you know, you go to church? Well, you know. I said, you know, Christians, you don't, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian, do you? But Christians go to church. Because how else are you going to learn about the Lord? And, and gather together and be strengthened by his people. We need one another. I need to be strengthened by you. You need to be strengthened by me. We absolutely need one another, especially as we see the day approaching, right? Isn't that what he said? Yeah. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, even the more so as you see the day approaching. Yet there's so many lone rangers out there. They don't think they need the body of Christ. We need one another. And as time goes on, we're going to need one another more. So we don't believe the lies that are going to be told out there. But we come here and embrace the truth. Amen? Yeah. You got a closing song for us? Shall we stand? Thank you for listening to this message from Community Chapel of Greenville. For more information and to find more messages like this, please visit to www.ccgreenville.org. It is our desire to see our Lord high and lifted up, and to see His people grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ.